we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for May 31st, 2009. And we're going to continue our study today on the Hebrew uh, Roots Movement. And really what we're looking at now more is the foundation of the Hebrew Roots Movement, which is the modern day, what we would call modern day Judaism. We're going to be looking at... Looking at Now, I have touched on these subjects before in other teachings. Today, we're also going to be talking a lot about the Talmud. And I, I've got a teaching that I did on the Talmud, but in order to really address this subject and to lay a proper foundation, it is important to go back and rehash some of those verses in the Talmud uh, and seeing how they relate to modern-day Judaism uh, to have a proper look at this. So this next section of this teaching... Um, is entitled, Is It Right Before God to Go Back to Judaism? Which is basically what a lot of the modern day churches are doing. So even if the current Jewish retreat that is happening in the churches was based on pure Old Testament teachings of Moses, which it is not, it would still be wrong before God to retreat back into the Jewish religious orientation. Now if we go to Hebrews 1, 2-4, Hebrews 1, 2 through 4. In these verses alone, there are actually eight successive statements about Christ. I'll just read that. Verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's spelled capital S-O-N. hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Remember, the Bible says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's in John 1, and that's referring to Jesus Christ, the incarnate word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same in the beginning was God. All things were made by him, and without him was there anything made that was made. So, here we have an affirmation of that as well, in Hebrews 1, verse 2. Then verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, praise the Lord Jesus Christ, he paid our sin debt, through the finished work on the cross, through the shedding of his precious blood, he purged our sins. And then it said he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down, he seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So again, in these verses alone, there are eight successive statements about Christ. He is the eternal Son. He is the heir of all things. He is the creator used of the Father. In His eternal being, He is the brightness or the visible outshining of God's glory. Christ is the express image of God's person. He is an identical expression of deity. Um, In regard to men, Christ is shown as prophet, priest, and king. He does not take a low place in the Old Testament prophets through whom God spoke. He is the ultimate incarnate prophet who is God. We cannot say, ah, here is another prophet of God, and a good one at that. In Christ, in Christ, God speaks his final word. So it's very important that, that we understand that. 
Christ brings God to men. According to John 1, 14 and 18, he did not offer up sacrifices as the Old Testament priests did. Christ was the blood, the ultimate blood sacrifice himself, and all other sacrifices have ceased with his mighty act. Um, see Hebrews 25 through 28 for confirmation of that. Christ is not a king like King David or King Solomon as the exalted God-man. He has an inheritance far beyond all others who came before him. He is on his heavenly throne right now at the right hand of God. See Ephesians 1.20 and 21 and Philippians 2.9-11 for confirmation of that statement. Christ Jesus is the consummation of the continuing revelation of God. There is a divine continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first revelation, the Old Testament, prepares for the second, the New Testament. Nevertheless, the second, the New Testament, actually consummates the first. Um, important verses are Hebrews 10, 1 through 10. Okay, so, and again, we just, we just started that, Hebrews 10, 1 through 10. And we, you, you know, we can look at that some more, but those are those are the actual um, verses that that confirm a lot of what we're talking about. So, since Christ has perfectly completed God God's revelation, why seek to go back and major on the first, which is the Old Testament, and declare it to be greater? Than the New Testament. And again, this is pretty much what you're seeing with the Hebrew Roots Movement. I mean, the longer they stay in it, the more radical they become within it. It doesn't usually start out that way. If somebody is a Christian and all of a sudden they want to cross over and get into this Hebrew Roots stuff, it's not like it happens overnight. But it's a gradual progression. And it's a gradual progression that Satan has taken you on. And he'll he'll typically start you out slow and, 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 and bring you into something like this um, the more you let them get a hold of you. Okay, going further, it says, As many are doing in our day, no, we see and study the divine shadow in the first revelation of the Old Testament. Uh, again, you can see Hebrews 10.1. Where, basically, that was just the first verse of what we just read. God, who at sundry times, meaning various times, and in divers manners, meaning many manners, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. And then it goes on, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And then it goes on to talk about Jesus Christ. We can never fully understand the Old Testament until the greater and the consummate revelation of the New Testament shows us what it, what it is really all about and what is meant by it. Jesus Christ is obviously superior to the Old Testament prophets. How how could he not be? The New Testament is something stupendous beyond imagination. It is the New Covenant, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, actually sealed by his blood. Uh, compare and read carefully Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. So let's go there. Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he hath entered once into the holy place, 
having obtained eternal redemption for us. He obtained our eternal redemption. The word to redeem means to buy back. He's eternally bought us back and redeemed us from the pit of hell through his blood one time. Not like the Catholics do where they go in there and through the process of, they believe, transubstantiation, they, they believe the Catholic priest can literally change the body and, and, and uh, the, the wafer and the wine into the literal body and blood. They believe that Jesus Christ has to be re-crucified every time they go to Mass. This death ceremony of Mass. Okay, That's an abomination. Because he entered into the holy place once by his own blood. And it's not something that has to be redone. But see, that's why when you go into a Catholic church, they have Jesus Christ up on the cross. Because they're continually re-crucifying him. So he's got to be up there on the cross. It wouldn't make sense to go to a Catholic church and have the cross empty. Because they've got to keep re-crucifying him every single time they go to Mass. Isn't that sick? But that's the way it goes. So verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more superior is the blood of Christ than to the blood, the blood of bulls and goats and calves, is, is what they're saying here. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, and by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions, that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Okay, so, these are just confirmatory verses regarding the shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to the better covenant. And these are a a lot of these verses are the ones that somebody that's in the Hebrew Roots Movement have to totally ignore. And... Again, I've kind of explained how they can do that. Some people, they've gone so far as to pretty much just stop reading the New Testament. Or if they do, they just read select bits and pieces, and they're reading it from a corrupt, something like a Jerusalem Bible, which has a corrupt underlying text. And, you know, that's that's how this happens, this process. So, yes, the New Testament is vastly greater than the Old Testament, as Christianity is greater than the Old Testament law. It is wrong to go back. It is wrong because it is, in a sense, denying that Jesus Christ has come and paid our sin debt. Isn't that what this is like? Aren't we saying when we go back to the Old Testament, or if we go into this Hebrew root stuff, we've got to do this, and we've got to keep the feast days, and we've got to keep the holy days, and we've got to keep the Sabbath, and we've got to do this, and we've got to do that, and we've got to keep all the... Well, isn't that saying that the blood of Jesus Christ was not good enough to pay my sin debt, that, that, that the... Jesus Christ is the mediator of a better covenant, that that's really not true. And I like the old one better. I want to be under law. I desire to be under that bondage, even though God never called me to it. That's pretty much what it looks like to me. And I think it's what it looks like to the Lord. So, of course, we should study the Old Testament as part of the whole revelation of God given in Scripture. It is the truth revealed by God, but it is not the final revelation of the Son of God, who came to be the Savior of the earth. He is merely shadowed in the Old Testament. And um, again, um, we got we get confirmation of that by reading Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, which we just read. So, let's go then to the next 
section. So what is Judaism today? Okay, modern day Judaism, what is it? Is it the same as the Old Testament religion te- religious teachings under the law of Moses? And this is very important. Because I can see maybe somebody getting off track and saying, okay, we just need to go to the Old Testament. Maybe they don't understand fully the new. But it'd be one thing if they were doing that. It'd still be wrong. But is modern-day Judaism even following what the Old Testament said? And if it's not, how far off track is it from even the Old Testament? Law that uh, the Israelites were under. Well, let's look at that. So, some, what are some of its doctrines and teachings? This is modern-day Judaism. This warning is given to the reader that the information on the contents of the Talmud and other Jewish writings contains shockingly blasphemous material. So this is a blasphemy alert. Okay, I've had people ask me to say, if you're going to say something blasphemous, give us a warning. Okay, well this is a blasphemy alert for this whole next section. This booklet deals with fact, not fallacy. Should the reader want further proof, get the document cited and read the evidence for yourself. And again, I got into a lot of this in the dedicated teachings I did on the Talmud, if you want to know a little bit more. The majority of Christians misunderstand Judaism today. Michael Hoffman II gives us information here that is vital. He wrote the book, Judaism's Strange Gods. On pages 6-9, through nine, he says, This weird cult of Judeo-Christianity is an oxymoron, meaning a confliction of contradictions, found on the lips of many Christians, including even conservative ones. Now, I've even fallen into this trap. Judeo-Christianity. Okay. Well, let's really look at what that means. This abominable Judeo-Christianity contrivance, meaning it's contrived, is akin to the cloning of a human in animal genes or any other alchemical mixtures of two mutually contradictory substances, things that don't mix, like oil and water, which we have witnessed in these last few decades in the modern cauldron. Now again, when I say Judeo, I don't mean purely people that were observing the Old Testament the right way. I thought that's what it meant. But I, but after looking at this article, I'm realizing that's not the case at all. And we're going to explain why. Before Jesus Christ, there was faith of the Israelites as it gradually decayed and it was subverted by the corrupt teachings such as were transmitted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, Now when Jesus had come, things had been pretty corrupted at that point. And that's why Jesus made a lot of the, said a lot of the things that he did to the Pharisees and the Sadducees because he talked about because of your traditions and the traditions of men, you've made the word of God of none effect. What word of God was Jesus talking about? He was talking about the Old Testament. But see, they had even corrupted that to the point where it even became way worse after Jesus was crucified. And we're going to look at that. This corruption was greatly escalated when a portion of the Israelites rejected Jesus Christ the Messiah. After which their leaders eventually made their way back to Babylon, where the corrupt and reprobate oral occult tradition of the elders was committed to writing and compiled as the Mishnah, comprising the first portion of the Talmud. Okay, so the Mishnah was the first where, at that point, everything was an oral tradition. Okay, all of this extra-biblical stuff that was going on outside of Old Testament Levitical law, 
It was an oral tradition that was handed down through the elders. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were implementing this over the people. This was extra-biblical stuff. It wasn't biblical. Okay? And this is why Jesus talks about, you know, you've, you've put bondages and burdens on the people, speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees that they could never bear. This was the extra stuff, okay, that had been done. And, but they had never actually committed this to writing up until after the time that Jesus was crucified. When they actually, actually these leaders made their way to Babylon, and I mean literal Babylon, where the corrupt reprobate oral occult tradition of the elders was then committed to writing and compiled as the Mishnah comprising the first portion of the Talmud. Okay, so hopefully I clarified that. At that juncture, the religion of modern-day Judaism was born. So understand, when we talk about Judaism here, we're now talking about Old Testament uh, Levitical law. Okay, We're talking about modern-day Judaism as it was really first created after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it's totally extra-biblical, and it's not based on the Old Testament, and we're going to prove that. It is the Talmud, not the Bible, which is the which is dominant in the system of Orthodox Judaism. This is something that's very important to understand. Because if you're going around thinking these Orthodox Jews are are going by the Bible, primarily, you're sadly mistaken. And even if they supposedly were, all of this extra-biblical stuff that they're doing is corrupting that. It's just like a Mormon who has a King James Bible, but he's also got the Pearl of Great Price and the Book of Mormon, and all these other extra, uh, extra, and then they have the the supposed revelations of the prophets. All of these things end up contradicting the Bible, and therefore they have to ultimately have to come to a decision. Well, what takes preeminence? Why is it always that that the books like the Book of Mormon and, and the Pearl of Great Price and the uh, these supposed revelations, like I'm just talking about Mormonism right now, it always seems to take preeminence? Over the Bible, well, you, you can't have it both ways. You got to, you got to pick. And who, and, and knowing that the devil is behind those religions, who do you think the devil is going to motivate you to follow? You think he's going to motivate you to follow the King James Bible? It's not going to happen. So it's really no different than that. When we have the Talmud and we talk about the Midrash and um, the Kabbalah, you can have the Old Testament first five books of the Bible or whatever you want to go by, all you want. They're still, your, your, your religion's still going to be corrupted. It has to be. Remember, a little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. Jesus Christ said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And when the disciples questioned him about it, he didn't mean um, like yeast in the dough. What he meant was leaven meaning bad doctrine. That is the ultimate way leaven is used in the Bible. It's also a type of sin, which a bad doctrine is a sin. Okay, So beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus Christ is saying the same thing to a person that is bound up in this Hebrew Roots Movement stuff today. Beware of the leaven. Leaven corrupts you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge ye therefore out the old leaven that the whole lump be made new. That's where the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in that case, it's talking about actually purging an unrepentant 
apostate out of your congregation, lest he leaven your whole church. And that leaven starts to affect you in a negative way. People, just the presence of people in your life can do that to you, particularly if it's in a church setting. Well, doctrine can be leavened in, in a very similar way. So, just wanted to give you that as an example. So, remember, the Talmud, not the Bible, is, the, is dominant in the system of Orthodox Judaism. According to Robert Goldenberg, professor of Judaic studies at the State University of New York, he said, the Talmud was Torah. So, in other words, the Talmud was the Torah. The first five books of the Bible. The, the Talmud became that. That's what he's saying. It's very matter of fact about this. And we're going to look at quote after quote where they say the same thing. In a paradox that determined, now this is his quote, in a paradox that determined the history of Judaism, the Talmud was the oral Torah. In written forms and as such, it became, it became the clearest statement the Jew could hear of God's very word. The Talmud usurped and became the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So what does that mean? Well, the, the Torah, or the Old Testament, or whatever they're going by, it's in the back seat. It, in fact, it's in the trunk. The driver's seat, you got the Talmud. And we're going to look at some quotes from the Talmud. We're going to look at its fruit. This continues this quote, and it says, The Talmud provided the means of determining how God wanted all Jews to live. Wasn't that laid out in the Old Testament? I mean, if you were going to go by the law, okay, wasn't that all laid out in the Old Testament? <laughs> but evidently they had to have something different. The Talmud provided the means of determining how God wanted all Jews to live in all places at all times, even if the details of the law had to be altered to suit newly arisen conditions. Well, that's pretty convenient, you know, just change change even whatever tradition you have, just change it to suit your conditions. Well, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. According to Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25, so, in other words, you're just going by... It sounds like this is a religion based on what your heart was telling you to do. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It, it's kind of like in the book of Judges where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's what this is. They're going back to that. This is Judges. Well, what was Judges? It was a time of total rebellion. Judges is not the book you want to go to to say, Hey, look, see? God did this, or, or, or the people did this, and, and God let them do it. That's where a lot of Pentecostals would go to say Deborah was a judge and that's the way God, in the day and time we're living in, that's the way it's got to be. Women ruling over men, this type of thing. God only did that because the men were so sorry that he had to use a woman. That's how sorry the men were. Now I'm not saying Deborah was sorry because she had backbone, obviously, but I'm saying that is not, <laughs> from, from a biblical example standpoint, it's not biblical. Okay, it's the exception to the rule. And I've done a whole teaching on that, on what women can do for the Lord. And you can just key in woman in my keyword search box on my homepage, if you doubt that. And I get into that subject in detail. So, if we go further, 
The proper, and this is this quote from this, uh, Robert Goldenberg, professor of Judaic studies. The proper way to perform such adaptation, meaning this change, could itself be learned from the Talmud and its commentary. The Talmud revealed God speaking to Israel. And so the Talmud became Israel's way to God. End of quote. That's pretty bad. So the religion of Judaism, as it has been known since it was concocted after the crucifixion, see, that's very important for you to understand when we read this. This modern-day religion of Judaism was concocted after Jesus Christ's crucifixion. This is an Old Testament, Levitical, Israelite uh, religion. It's not bad at all. And that's something I really didn't even fully comprehend until I, until I had read this. So, again, the religion of Judaism, as it has been known since it was concocted after the crucifixion of Christ, is what is called today Orthodox Judaism. Now, there's a quote here, a reference. All of this that I'm reading you is referenced. It's, it's not stuff they're just making up here. Uh, and again, if you want to get this book, just do a keyword search for The Jewish Disaster. And it's from um, End Time Ministries. And uh, you might be able to download this online. Uh, but going further, it says, We do not, this is, this is from the, uh, regarding Orthodox Judaism, and this is a quote from Israel Shahak of the Jewish fundamentalism in Israel. Jewish fundamentalism in Israel, uh, pages 11 through 16. Uh, this was made in 1999. It says, We do not here concern ourselves with the supposed reformed branch of the synagogue because they do not accord the Talmud the supreme authority which Judaism does. So this is a Jewish scholar making a quote about the Talmud, about Judaism, and about other sects of Jewish religions. He's saying right here, we don't, we don't, concern ourselves with the supposed reformed branch of the synagogue, this, which is a different branch, just like there's different denominations of uh, Presbyterian and, and these types of things in the Christian religion. Well, the reformed branch, they're saying they don't, they don't really count them. Why? Because they do not accord the Talmud the supreme authority which Judaism does. It's just a matter of fact speaking here. Judaism accounts the Talmud as the supreme over anything else, including the Old Testament. Liberal, this is back to this quote, liberal reformed synagogues stand in the same relationship with Judaism as Unitarians who deny the resurrection of Christ do with the regard to Christianity. Now he actually makes this comparison between Unitarians and true Christianity and this reform branch of uh, Sounds like Judaism compared with true Judaism, Orthodox Judaism. He goes on to say, both represent a fundamental negation of the founding precepts of the religion they claim to profess to believe. 
reformed synagogues, and in some cases conservative synagogues, that deny the obligations of the Talmud do not constitute the religion of Judaism. Wow. That, I mean, that's going to, that's really putting it out there that the Talmud is supreme. And if you don't believe this, and you even call yourself a reformed, reformed branch of Judaism, or even a conservative branch of Judaism, you're a liar. You're a liar. Because Orthodox Judaism was founded on the precepts of the Talmud. And if you don't believe that, the Orthodox Jews don't even look at you like you're, you're part of them. They're and then it goes on to say, they are ethnic and cultural offshoots, these Reformed synagogues in these. Secular Israeli Jews hold political views and engage in rhetoric similar to that of religious Jews. Now this is part of the same quote. For religious Jews, the blood of non-Jews has no intrinsic value. For the Now, what does that mean? That means that, that for a religious Jew, in Orthodox Judaism, the blood of you and I, as a Gentile, doesn't mean anything. We're worthless. We're what they call, I believe, goyim. Like cattle. That's all we are to a religious Jew. And yet you have all of these Christians, Christian Zionism movement, Hebrew roots, so desperately wanting to have the crumbs from the table of Judaism. Believing they're the only, you know, they're God's only chosen people. Now, most of them are going to reject Jesus Christ. Two-thirds of them are going to die during the tribulation. One-third of them are going to be tried as silver and brought through the fire, according to Zechariah. And they are going to have their eyes open, and they are going to look upon whom they've, they've pierced, and they are going to get saved. Okay? And they, at that point, will be our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I understand that's going to happen. And, I'm, and from that standpoint, there is a certain part of the modern-day Israel that is God's chosen people. They may not even know it yet. In fact, most of them don't. Because why? Because blindness in part is happening to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. So most of them are still blind, unfortunately. That's going to change. But two-thirds of them are still going to go down and maintain this path to destruction. And they're going to be lining up to take the mark of the beast. And they're going to be spinning, you know, in the face of Jesus Christ, just like they've been for thousands of years. And they've basically brought a curse on themselves for their whole generation. Why? Because when Jesus Christ was up on the cross, I believe this is when it really started, when Pilate offered them Barabbas, they said, no, no, no. Or when Pilate offered them um, Jesus Christ, they said, no, no, take away Jesus Christ, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus, and let his blood be upon us and our children. They brought themselves under a curse because of that. They rejected the very Savior that came to save their souls. The Bible says in John 1, it says he came to his own, meaning the, the Jews, and his own received him not. Now, am I to glory in that? No. The Bible warns about in Romans, boast not against the natural branches, which are the Jews. You are as wild olive branches grafted in. So we don't boast against the natural branches either. Okay, So this isn't something we go around and be all big and get a big head about, like some people do. And some people go so far as to say, oh no, 
the Jews, they're, God's done with the Jews. We're the, we're the, all the promises that talks about in Revelation and Daniel regarding the Jews, that, those apply to the Christian church now, and they, they'll even go so far as to split themselves up into different tribes. British Israelism. I've went into this before. So we, when dealing with this subject, it's incredibly important that we have biblical balance. It's just, I can't emphasize it enough. But you have to understand that to the these um, modern-day Orthodox Judaic rabbis, they believe secular... Well, and I'm going to read this again. Secular Israeli Jews. Okay, so these are just secular, not religious, secular, in the world. They hold political views and engage in rhetoric similar to that of the religious Jews. For religious Jews, the blood of the non-Jews have no intrinsic value. We are as cattle to them. For the Lucid, which is the political party of Menachem Begin, uh, Shamir, and Netanyahu, for the Lucid political party, it has limited value. In other words, for that political party, the blood of non-Jews has limited value. So they may have a little higher view than the religious Orthodox Jews, but not a lot. Most foreign observers do not realize that a sizable segment of the Israeli Jewish public holds these chauvinistic views. Now, this is from a Jew writing this. This is from the, is- the Jewish fundamentalism in Israel. These are statements of fact from somebody that lives this. Not me, I'm not making this up. Okay, And that's what I like, again, about this particular report. It's highly referenced. Uh, anyway, I think that's something that's just very, very important to understand. You know, if you want to go into this and you and you want to be Mister Super Pseudo Jew guy or woman, I you need to understand what you're yoking up with here. And guaranteed, because I've seen it happen virtually every single time, if you get into the Hebrew Roots Movement stuff, you're going to start to adopt those same chauvinistic views. In what way? Well, it may not be because you view the blood of others as less than yours, but and maybe it will, eventually, but you start thinking, hey, look at me. I'm better. I'm keeping the feasts. I'm keeping the Sabbath. I'm doing this. I'm keeping the law. I'm keeping all of these holy days. I'm better. That's what happens with virtually every single different religious denomination. They start to get big heads, pride, And pride is the most dangerous sin of the Bible because it blinds you to the truth. It blinds you to your own sin. It blinded Lucifer because of his beauty it said he was lifted up. This is right before he fell and and because of his merchandise, which was great. Pride is what it boiled down to. Blinded him. This is why we have to guard against it. What's the remedy for pride? Humility. What's a great way to get humility before God? Pray for the fear of God in your life. Pray for it. Why can't you pray for it? You do a keyword search for fear of God. Fear of the Lord. Just or like fear and Lord. Just do that in like the blue letter Bible online or whatever. That's what I do. I use the blue letter Bible. I understand there's they have a lot, a lot of other versions you can look at, and that's not right. But it's a good reference tool and it's quick and it's easy, and you can go to their keyword search box and it's done. That's the one I, I like to use. Well, you do a keyword search, and there's more blessings connected with the fear of God or the fear of Lord 
than just about anything I've seen in the Bible. And a natural byproduct of fear of the Lord is humility before the Lord. And the Bible says, To this man will I look, to of him that is of a humble and a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. That implies humility, meekness, and fear of God. And that's where the Bible in Isaiah 66 says, To this man will I look. That's how, it's about one of the only ways you can really get a hold of the Lord. You cannot do it in pride. You can't do it, well, one, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to do it, God's going to have to look at me because look at all my mighty works I've done. <laughs> the Bible talks about that, you know, where, where it talks about, uh, it, I believe in Matthew 24, where there'll, there'll be many that say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these mighty works and have we not cast out devils and done all these things? And then the Lord will finally say to them, after they list their long laundry list of accolades of all the stuff they did, He'll say, Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity, I never knew you. He never knew them. That doesn't, he didn't say, well, you were saved, but you crossed the line and now you're unsaved. He said, I never knew you. These were people that were never saved. They thought they were but they were earning their way to wherever they thought they were going to get. And obviously, in that case, it would have been heaven. Just got to be real careful. This is literally a matter of of life and death, of, of eternal destiny, what we're talking about today, for a lot of people. I mean, if you're wrapped up in this, this literally is a matter, for a lot of people, of heaven and hell. Okay, so, for Christians, that, that quote is done now. Uh, for Christians, the essence of the human being uh, is the soul. For the Jews, it is the well, really the soul and the, the human being. But for the Jews, uh, it is the body. Hence, their worship of their own race as a type of God. Now, this is something that's really hard to understand. So, I'm going to say that again. For Christians, the essence of the human being is the soul and spirit. For the Jews, it is their body, their physical bodies. Hence, their worship of their own race as a type of God. That's weird. But I'm going to explain it. We're going to, we're going to look into this. So, the next statement says, Virginity is a highly problem, problematic in Judaism, where defilement is defined as a failure to engage in the sex act. What? Yeah, let me read that again. Virginity is highly problematic in Judaism. It's a problem, virginity is. Where defilement is defined as a failure to engage in a sex act. So if you're a virgin, you're actually defiled. Doesn't the Bible say, one of them that call evil good and good evil? This goes on to say, anyone who does not copulate, meaning in the sex act, is it is as if he had spilled blood. The rabbis forbid virginity. Now, if you get into entry-level Judaism, uh, is this something they're going to teach you the first day? No. No. It's just like the Freemasons. You're not going to learn all of the, the terrible secrets of the Freemasons in the first degree. You're not even going to know that. Some of them don't even know it, and they get it to the 33rd. Of course, I think at that point they're familiar with what's going on. Most of them. Uh, now, where 
did I get that last statement? Is that just something I made up? No. This is from, I believe, the Talmud. Yerba Mat 63b. Uh, the homilies of Aphrates, the Persian sage. This was written in 1869, volume 1, the Syriac text, page 35a. So when I say all the, those statements that I just said about virginity um, is a problem and it's it's a, considered to be a virgin is considered to be defiled. And that anyone who does not copulate it is as if he had, had spilled blood. That's where I get that from. It's a Jewish uh, oral tradition. This man named uh, John Chrysostom on homily on virginity says, The Jews disdain the beauty of virginity, which is not surprising, since they heaped ignominy on Christ himself, who was born of a virgin. Kind of makes sense. They despise virginity. Why? Well, Christ was born of a virgin. I really hadn't thought about it that way until I read that. I said, you know what? That's interesting. It gets way worse than this. Okay, We're just touching the tip of the iceberg right now. When Jesus declared in John 6 that the flesh profiteth nothing, he was violating the oral tradition of the Pharisees. Remember, because of the traditions of men, this is what Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, because of the tradition of men, you've made the word of God of none effect. The word of God up to that point was the Old Testament. So when Jesus says in John 6 that the flesh profiteth nothing, he was violating the oral tradition of Pharisees. That's why we can read things that Jesus might have said to the Pharisees and Sadducees and think, well, why did they get so mad about that? My word, it didn't seem like... But to them it was a really big deal. To the Pharisees and Sadducees, who had this oral tradition... It was a big deal, because it was going against that. They had added to the word of God. Remember the Bible talks about the end of Revelation, that if you add to the words of this, the book of this prophecy, I will add unto you the plagues written in this book. If you take away from this book, I will take away your part out of the book of life. Well, they were adding to, big time. Judaism celebrates the body to such a sordid extent that it even has a defecation prayer, which every Jewish male is commanded to recite every time he relieves himself. I'm going to read you the prayer. Here's how the prayer goes. This is so sickening. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who hast made the human and its orifices and its holes. End of quote. That's pretty gross. Oh, it gets way worse than this. This is just the I said, we're just starting. Everything about Judaism is either a distortion or a falsification of the Old Testament, which is really important to understand. Because people think, oh, I'm just going back to the Old Testament. No, you're not. It's a distortion and a falsification. Modern-day Orthodox Judaism. It is a distortion or falsification of the Old Testament because Judaism is based on a man-made tradition that voids the Old Testament by means of a series of dispensations and loopholes. Voids it. These begin with the Mishnah, which represent the commitment to writing of the occult legends and lore of those Israelites who had preserved, quote, secret knowledge 
which had arisen with the worship of the golden calf of Moloch and similar abominations. What is this? Hidden secret knowledge. Gnosticism. That's what the word Gnosticism means. It's also what the word occult means. Occult means hidden. This is just like it's like every other cult on the planet. They're all based on secret knowledge that the initiate wants to obtain. It's like the carrot that Satan dangles out in front of you like you're a rabbit and he, he dangles out this carrot in front of you in order to get you enticed to going further and further and further and deeper and darker into these religions. This is just one of the other many cults of the world. Where did it begin? This Mishnah, which represented the commitment of the writings of the occult legends of the Israelites, who had preserved this secret knowledge, which had actually arisen from the worship of the golden calf. Now, God was real happy when they worshipped the golden calf, right? He was real happy about that after Moses came off the, the mount. Remember that? And of Molech, and of similar abominations. With the rejection of their Messiah and the commitment of the formerly oral traditions to writing, these Israelites completely abandoned themselves to a perversion which had once been only a persistent underground stream polluting Israel, but after Christ's crucifixion emerged as the main ideology of those who refused to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. See, at the time when the Pharisees and Sadducees were railing against Jesus Christ, the real hardcore, nasty stuff within these oral traditions was really only a persistent underground stream polluting Israel. But after Christ's crucifixion, they abandoned themselves to this, and, and this actual, the oral traditions actually emerged as the main ideology of Judaism. It's like they were turned over to a reprobate mind once the full rejection of Jesus Christ was complete by the, the Jewish race corporately. Isn't that kind of like what it's like? It's like it, it looks like it to me. It looks like, okay, they were on the verge. Jesus Christ gave them this opportunity. They rejected Him and His Word and the Son of God. They rejected all that. So then it's almost like, okay, you reject me? I'm going to turn you over to a reprobate mind. And this is where, and, and when you look at the Talmud and the blasphemous statings, statements in it, you can understand they were turned over to a reprobate mind. They really were. And they were blinded. They became unthankful. Were they thankful for Jesus Christ coming here and paying their sin debt? Nope. They sure weren't. Where does the Bible talk about that? One place. I'll read it to you. Because when they knew God, this is Romans, verse 121, because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. Now just think about, Let's. I understand this, this verse starts to segue into um, the homosexuals who were actually turned over to a reprobate mind. Okay, but isn't this very similar to what the Jews did to Jesus Christ? They knew God. The Bible says that He came and dwelt among men. He came to His own, but His own received Him not. So, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Did the Pharisees and Sadducees glorify Jesus Christ as God? No. They glorified Him not 
as God, neither were they thankful. See, thankfulness is so important to the Lord. When you become unthankful, you're in a bad position. Because that is one of the first things that happen when you start to either really turn your back on God or go apostate. You become unthankful. And if you're bitter, most of the time you're going to be unthankful. You've got to be careful of that root of bitterness, which the Bible talks about, springeth up and defileth many. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, when you, when we're going to read, we're going to look at some of these verses of the Talmud. You're going to ask yourself, did they become vain in their imaginations, and were their foolish hearts darkened? It has to be because when you see these statements, I don't even like reading them. I really don't. But they're they're that bad, and so they became blinded. They were unthankful. Going further, it says, Later, Talmudic rabbis styled this primary canon of written Judaism as Mishnah. Literally, which means repetition. Okay, so they finally started to write down this oral tradition after Jesus Christ's crucifixion. And it was the primary canon of their scripture. And it was written as the Mishnah, which literally means repetition. The term signifies... Quote, oral tradition learned by constant repetition. In Hoffman's book of Judaism's Strange God, he tells us the or- origins of Judaism on page 15 through 17. And this is a uh, partial quote from his book. Protestis- Protestantism's view of Judaism extols confusion. First and foremost, by terming the Old Testament religion as Judaism an inevitable and inexorable connection is established between the religion of those who rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah and the Old Testament of the Bible. And this is something that's very important to understand. Modern day Orthodox Judaism is not based on the Old Testament, like a lot of us might have thought. But when you say Judeo-Christianity, you're linking the two up, and it's not a good thing to do because of what we've talked about, what we're going to be talking about. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be a greater source of delusion. To ascribe to an ancient Israelite, the Israelite religion, the term of Judaism, is a grave lexical and hermeneutic error. In other words, he goes on to say that the term Judaism was not used in the Old Testament. It was not used. You can't find it. It's a modern day term that really started with its roots after the crucifixion of Christ. When they actually went and started writing these oral traditions, the Mishnah uh, and the Talmud and these types of things, that's when Judaism really started. Paul's mention of, quote, the Jews' religion is in the context of instructive. Paul's reference in this regard is negative, where he says in Galatians 1.14, and profited in the Jews' religion above my many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the, of the traditions of my fathers. See, Paul was wrapped up in this false religion too. Okay? And he was more zealous, uh, but it was in the traditions of his fathers. The hallmarks of, quote, the Jews' religion, according to Paul, were twofold. Persecution of the church according to 1 Thessalonians 2, 14-16, and allegiance to the traditions of men. 
Not really two great attributes I would want to ascribe to a religion I was in. Persecution of the church and allegiance to the tradition of men. The Pharisees asked Jesus why his followers disobeyed the Talmud at the time known as the tradition of the elders, and not yet in written form. That's very important to understand. But the Pharisees asked Jesus, why, why did his fathers disobey the, these oral traditions? By refusing to engage in ritual hand-washing. Remember that in the Bible? Matthew 15, uh, verses 2 through 39, I'm just skipping through them, but it says, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But Jesus said unto them, Why do ye transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Jesus was already dealing with this at the time. They were the ones transgressing the commandment of God in the Old Testament by their tradition. They were adding to it. They were putting burdens on men that they could never bear. That's what all these, these cults end up doing. And at the time, it really had just pretty much become a cult, just about. They were, they were adding to, they were, it was leavened, it, you know. For a, a lot of it was. And then it went to a full-blown cult after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So, how can it be said that Judaism, the Jews' religion, is the root of Christianity, when according to Paul, it is a religion of man-made traditions, and according to Jesus Christ... Judaism's traditions of men made the law of Christ of none effect, according to Matthew 15.9. How could it be said that Judaism is the root of Christianity when in the Old Testament there was no Judaism, no, quote, Judaism? This is, and again, it's very important to understand. One searches in vain for the term. Yet modernist Christians today use it almost exclusively to describe the religion of the Old Testament of the Lord and His people. The term wasn't even used. After some Jews rejected their Messiah, they formalized the tradition of the elders condemned by Christ as the very nullification of the law of God. They, they really went all out after Jesus was crucified. After some Jews rejected their Messiah, they formalized the tradition of the elders condemned by Christ as the very nullification of the law of God and that the new religion is accurately and properly termed Judaism. That's what Judaism is. Okay, this, uh, another quote here. This new system treated at first as simple provisional as simply provisional because of the surviving hope of the restoring the Jewish commonwealth. This had to soon be accepted as definitive. In other words, this new system of the oral tradition being translated in the Mishnah into the Talmud, at first it was treated as simply provisional. But soon, it had to be accepted as definitive. Then, it was then the rabbinical or the Talmud Talmud Inical, Judaism fully asserted its authority. The Mishnah oral teaching completed by Rabbi Judah committed ultimately to writing in the form of the Ju Jerusalem and Babylonian Talmuds and expounded by generations of teachers in the schools of Palestine and Babylon. 
held undisputed sway over the minds and consciences of the Jews. So the Jerusalem and the Babylonian Talmuds were the ones that became preeminent and dominant in this in, in modern day Judaism. Judaism has as its God not Jesus Christ, but the Jewish people. Remember I said that before? They 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 view their flesh as their God, their race. Self worship is at the core of the Talmud. Self worship. Now that is absolutely totally contradictory to even the even the Old Testament. The Bible says, I will have no other gods before me. Jesus proclaimed that the initial stage of the Talmud, the Mishnah, which existed in oral form in Christ's time, was the tradition of the elders which nullifies the word of God. Uh, this is a quote from Matthew 7, 1-9, through 9, and verse 13. Then came together unto him the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. This is They came to Jesus. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. They were looking for any little thing, any little nitpicky thing. They want to strain at gnats and swallow camels like the Bible talks about, so that they can find fault with Jesus Christ. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. doesn't say holding the tradition of the Bible. It's the tradition of the elders. The Bible is very clear on that. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? But eat bread with unwashed hands. He, meaning Jesus, answered and said unto them, Well hath Elias prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's what Jesus' response was about when they said, Well, you don't wash your hands, why don't you do the tradition of the elders? How bet means meaning however, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's how they, they teach for doctrine. That was their doctrine. That was their scriptural creed. The commandments of men, which really literally was this oral tradition, which was put into the Mishnah, the Talmud, the Midrash, Kabbalah. It, you know, these are the things that were they ended up following. Going back to this Bible verse, for laying aside the commandment of God, meaning at that time the Old Testament, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other things like, and many such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Pretty much says it all there. So, in this portion, okay, and let me read the last part. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and ye, and many such like things do ye. The issue here is not God's law of hygiene for prevention of insanitary conditions, but the burdensome and useless ritual purification based on man-made additions to God's law. The Talmud extols filth. So, in other words, you could say, well, the Talmud really wanted them to be clean, or, or this oral tradition. Well, then why, why does the Talmud extol filth? 
Being soiled by feces and urine, for example, is not regarded as defilement by the Talmud. But evidently, this ritual hand-washing was. Talk about straining and knots and swallowing camels. Remember what, before we just said, what was considered defilement? Virginity. Whoa, that is just lower than the call evil good and good evil and put light for darkness and darkness for light and sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. Isn't that what the Bible says? Well, that's what the Talmud does. Well, it's a religion of the devil. Remember when Jesus said unto them, you're of your father the devil and of his works ye will do? He was speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He called them vipers and serpents and whitened sepulchers full of dead man's bones, meaning they looked nice on the outside, but inside they were full of dead man's bones. Inwardly, they were ravening wolves. Talmud is a disgusting, particularly the Babylonian Talmud, is a just absolutely depraved, disgusting book. Now, I'm going to go ahead and stop. Uh, this is going to be part three there. And we're going to go to part four next. Do you have a question you want to ask?